Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the ANZW podcast, where we amplify the voice and profile of incredible women and allies in the ServiceNow community across Australia and New Zealand, bringing the voices of diversity and inclusion to you, whether you're taking a coffee break, walking the dog, or like me, raking my mini Zen garden. I'm Katrina Reid, a Senior Principal Strategist in the Inspire Value team. And today I'm here with Eric Swift, the Vice President and Managing Director for ServiceNow Australia and New Zealand, and more importantly, our first male ally to star in this podcast series. Welcome, Eric. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's start by addressing the elephant in the room. You are neither female nor identify as female, but as many would know, you are a passionate driver of change in the tech industry where it relates to diversity and inclusion and a key sponsor of the Women at Now program. Why is this so important to you and the businesses you've led? Honestly, it comes down to personal experience um, that goes back quite some time. It, we, we know that diversity and inclusion creates a stronger team. The data shows that. We know it's the right thing to do, period. But for me, it, it actually goes back um, to experiences I had when I was younger. The first time that I really thought heavily about this was when uh, you know, my, my mother found herself being a single parent and trying to raise four kids. And she had only been uh, very part-time in the workforce prior, doing secretarial services independently. And that, you know, that certainly wasn't going to allow her to keep the house and uh, you know, provide for us. And so she got a job as a full-time administrative assistant, called a secretary at the time. And what I saw was she had some sponsors and allies in the organization, CEO of a smaller company that, uh, that she worked for and supported that saw her talent and rapidly promoted her essentially till she became, um, you know, within a few years, the head of procurement. And, you know, that was a game changer for us. It allowed her to keep the house. It allowed her to provide for us. It uh, allowed her to fund a good portion of my first year of university. And, uh, you know, when I saw that, you know, I, I always thought, hey, my, my mom's awesome. She's super talented, right? And of course, anybody would see that, but it required not just her own capability, but the doors had to be, you know, either opened or, or the support needed to be there. And that, as I thought about that going into the workforce, I thought, well, I want to be that kind of, you know, that kind of uh, employee, that kind of leader, if I have that opportunity and that kind of advocate to help people who are talented you know, the best of the best, rise up and, and, and contribute. And, and that's, again, it's not only the right thing to do, but, you know, I'm convinced it, it makes for a better team and a stronger team and a, a better workplace and, uh, and, and, frankly, better business performance. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career history? Yeah, I, I, uh, I really um, started off early in my life being fascinated with technology, but for some reason, I, I decided when I went to school that I would do something totally different. So I, I wanted to be a lawyer, and then I wanted to be in politics. I was even a, a U.S. Senate intern uh, while I was doing my political science undergraduate university. And, and I, I realized after talking to lawyers and, and going to United States Senate, Capitol Hill, that, that those weren't really right for me. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't really feeling that that where my passion was. So I said, well, I, I better go into business. And uh, I traveled and, and, and lived internationally a little bit. And so I said, I'll go into international business. And I went to Columbia Business School in New York. And while I was there, my, <laughs> my plan was to do something in, quote, international business. I didn't know what. 
and you get kind of sucked into the what most of the people there in Columbia were doing. They were going into investment banking or into uh, into consulting, and I wasn't really, you know, getting excited about that after meeting with, you know, the different people that came to present to the school. And one day I just had the epiphany. I said, I I, I really, I really uh, enjoy technology, and I got very very interested and passionate about how technology could make a difference in business. And so I decided at that point forward, that's what I was going to do. Got my first job doing that, and I have not looked back ever since. I mean, I started out of business school doing something that's not a typical path. I was designing data warehouses. But I was, but I, what I really enjoyed was the business problem and then using the technology to solve that business problem. And that's guided my career ever since. So you started out in, in database technology, and then where? Yeah, I went from um, designing data warehouses for the pharmaceutical industry to optimize their um, their sales force targeting and their marketing. And then I went into a, a CRM uh, organization and it was also serving mostly the pharmaceutical industry. And I, I, at a certain point I said, well, I wanna get more, more general technology because I was getting very specific, right? Pharmaceutical industry and specific technology. So I went to an integration company uh, and from there, Microsoft was investing in integration technology, a little product called BizTalk Server that uh, most listeners probably wouldn't remember, but there'll be a few out there who might. Uh, and so I became the head of product management for BizTalk Server at Microsoft. And then from there, just had the most interesting jobs. Um, I, I ended up moving on to do unified communications, head of product management, which became Teams uh, and uh, over time. And I was the head of product management for SharePoint. And at that point, they were moving, Microsoft was moving everything to the cloud. So I got the opportunity to uh, work on the Microsoft Office 365 product to be the head of global sales because they needed somebody who uh, understood the technology, could talk to the engineers, understood cloud and understand how to get stuff done internally because the company was making such a massive shift to cloud. And that was not an easy thing for an organization like Microsoft to do. So I just had a great time working with the global field, working with the customers and, and managing um, at least a, a portion of that transition. Tremendous success, obviously. The results speak for themselves on that. So it's wonderful to be part of that. And then did a similar thing with Azure, Microsoft Azure. And then it came time for me to, well, what next? And I, I thought about doing things externally. I thought about doing things similar to what I've been doing before. And um, my... Uh, person I'd worked with, Stephen Worrell, who's the MD of Microsoft uh, Australia, New Zealand, he gave me a call and said, hey, why don't you come down and run the enterprise and commercial business in Australia? And that was a, that was a dream job. So I just had to take that job. Always wanted to live in this part of the world. My wife's Kiwi. Uh, so you know, nice to be close to family. And just what a, what a privilege to come and, and, and serve this, um, the, this, the clients and the community here. And so I did that for several years, and then it was time to do my next thing, and that's when ServiceNow called. And uh, that, that uh, had a couple of elements. One, it allowed me to stay in the region and cover New Zealand, where, where my wife is from, and family. And it also was a technology area. Remember, if you go way back to the start, of the, <laughs> the start of the journey that I was on, what I really loved about technology was technology applied to make business and organizations more effective. ServiceNow fit that perfectly. So that's how I... Ended up here through that journey. Can you describe your current role for our listeners and what you love most about it? 
Well, I run the the Australian New Zealand business for ServiceNow, and you know, frankly, what what I love most is that that core theme. I I love talking to organizations across Australia and New Zealand and helping them understand how to leverage our technology to make a difference in their business, take their priorities and find out if technology can help digitize a business process, make it more efficient, make it more effective, maybe even transform it entirely using the power of of the digital technologies to to be much more effective in the way you deliver a service or, or, or run a business process. That's where I really, really get excited. And, you know, I'd add to that the, the team. The, the team at ServiceNow has just been outstanding, fantastic culture, uh, a real passion for customer success and doing the right thing. So that's been, it's been great to combine those two things. Was it difficult to make the shift from product management into business leadership and being responsible for more than just, you know, the technology side of the business, but obviously that incorporates sales, marketing, operations. What was it like making that shift? Yeah, it was actually, it was probably the biggest uh, concern that I had because I'd done product, I'd done a little bit of sales earlier on, but, you know, I'd never run a a big sales organization. And when you're running product management, you, you, you are positioning the product for the sales team, but you're not running the sales team. You're working with the engineering team, but you're not building the product. And so when I thought about what my next career phase was, well, I could do more product management to move up that chain or maybe move more into the marketing side. But I really, I decided I wanted to be more customer facing. And that's a, that's a bit of a barrier to switch. I was really fortunate because uh, the, the Office 365 team at the time had some, some of the we recruited some of the most outstanding salespeople to lead the charge with the customers directly and the sales managers there. Um, some of the best people I'd ever, ever worked with in terms of sales professionals. And so when they needed a global lead, there was the big question, hey, Eric, is he the right candidate for this job? Doesn't have any sales experience. And Reed Downey uh, was one of the, he, was, he ran the, the, the US Office 365 sales organization. He said, listen, it's really simple. We know how to sell. We need someone who can actually work with the corporate teams to invest in the product in the right way, get the commercial teams right, and make sure that we're doing the right things so that we can go and sell. And so they said, Eric would be perfect because he can help us do that. And we don't need someone who knows how to sell. So it was a real privilege to be put in a leadership role with a team of sales professionals who were the best in the business and also be respected for what you do and bring to the table. And that creates a real powerful team. And so the individuals that, uh, you know, were in sales leadership at the time, you know, the privilege I had to work with them uh, allowed me to learn from the best and, you know, I think add value in in what I did well, which is kind of another lesson. You don't want a team that's all the same. You want a team that brings different capabilities and perspectives, and then you'll get the best out of it. If we were all great salespeople, we would have been, you know, really good at selling something that maybe needed a little bit of work internally to get lined up to where the customers were going. Is that a big part of your leadership style to build a team of very strong, diverse backgrounds and experiences and then empowering them to be excellent and doing their jobs? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's certainly my intention. I think at different times in my career, I've, I've done a better job at it than others, but you know, knowing that you have to have people have capabilities well beyond yours if you want to raise the game entirely. 
Francis Frey, um, business school professor and, and speaker on trust and leadership. She was just speaking to us the other day and she said she uses this wonderful model of circles where if everyone's the same, it's like laying a circle on top of each on top of each other. And you get a very powerful capability of aligned organization that does everything within the area of that one circle. But if you get people that are different and respect and even cherish those differences, then you get the benefit of the concentric circles that have a much wider area and you get a you know far far better performance far better capability you 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 learn things that you know you, you would never come up with yourself even if you're really really good <laughs> it's it's like sometimes people get fooled into thinking they're good enough to do everything but uh if you really are 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 you know thoughtful about it you 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 realize that you, you need people that come from different perspectives, different capabilities, different backgrounds, different times in the in their career so that you get perspectives of you know where things have been, but also where things are going. And you value and cherish all of those things, you can get the best out of the whole team. It's not about just finding the, again, this is from her model, where we all overlap and are the same. It's it's hey, how do we make sure we really recognize and take advantage of the differences? It's a very powerful visual. I love that. I haven't heard it explained that way before. Yeah, again, Frances Frey, she's got a, a book on uh, trust and leadership that, that lays this out. It's really, really was eye-opening for me because it was a great way to articulate kind of what I intuitively knew and had experienced, but, um, you know, allows it to really, uh, really be demonstrated visually. What are some of the emerging technologies that you're most excited about? Well, you know, it's not emerging, but it is the core of what ServiceNow does. It's workflow. When I was, uh, I think I was about 16. I was the editor, 17, I was the editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper, the Newbury Park Prowler, epitome of of high school journalism excellence. And I was proud to be put in that position. And we had moved from typesetting, the old way of doing newspapers, to digitizing the process by getting Macs. And so I knew how to use a Mac. It was pretty easy, right? And uh, my mom, this is when she was doing that uh, secretarial service, uh, she had a client who got a Mac and said, hey, I, I run a, a nursery. She grew, grew, grew flowers. And, uh, and she said, I, I got sold this Mac and they told me I could run my nursery with it, but I have no idea how to use a computer. And my mom says, well, my son uses a Mac at high school. Maybe he can help. So I was paid an outrageous amount of money you know, for a high school employee to go take this Mac and essentially build a business process flow for her nursery, the intake of supplies the growing of the flowers, progressing them through the greenhouse to sale. And I was just, I was fascinated. Here I'm getting paid to solve this really interesting problem using cutting edge technology. And it was essentially a workflow. And so, you know, I think over the years, there are, you know, some really big areas of investment that have digitized business, but there's a massive number of business processes that are still not automated, not optimized. And so I'll start with that core. Using workflow in a way that you know allows organizations to have a five x increase in productivity and automating their business process, I think is foundational. And then once you do that, then technologies like AI and machine learning can be applied to optimize those workflows. And that's where it gets exciting. It's one thing to have an insight using machine learning. It's another to take action on that insight. And to take action at scale, you have to have a digitized business process. So that's why you know, the, the workflow capability is foundational. And then you can apply you know, everything from AI and machine learning to uh, 
process automation and other technologies to make that make that process more efficient. So this is almost full circle for you, starting almost out when you're a teenager, yeah. <laughs> and 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 you finally made your way to the world's greatest workflow company. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I it's it's odd, but I, I actually, you know, when I when I graduated from business school and decided on technology, I thought about you know essentially where's where's the workflow technology of the future going to be, and I. And it took a little bit of a journey to get there, working across, again, data warehouses and transactional systems and integration systems. But in the end, those were all very valuable experiences to understand where workflow and process automation fits alongside transactional systems and uh, you know, business intelligence and, and data warehousing and, and similar technologies. Are there any particular industries or use cases where you're really excited in seeing what our customers or the industry is doing around workflow and automation? I, I could I could list all uh, almost all of them. I'll, I'll give you one experience that shows the magic of it, and uh, that was when we know how difficult travel is right now. And reason travel is difficult. It's not that there hasn't been enough technology innovation. It's because it's disconnected and it's fraught with manual processes. And so as the whole system is trying to ramp back up, the fact that the processes are only automated in silos, as you throw all these new people back into it, it just creates chaos. I mean, it, so, so you see the elegance of, of baggage tracking. It's amazing that, that bags get from one place to another at all. But when something goes wrong, it's a disaster to try to find that bag. I had a friend who had an air tag in their bag. They knew it was in New Zealand and it took two weeks for the airline to figure out where it was, even though they knew where it was and they told the airline where it was. It's just because not that the technology you know, isn't highly automated, but when it goes wrong, the process to respond to an ad hoc service report. So you see examples like that where the technology is implemented, but it's not complete across the process flow. Those silos of excellence become you know, chaos or bottlenecks or issues when you don't have that highly you know, efficient layer on top to respond and connect and digitize the whole environment. I think, you know, from a, an impact on the world, I, I think there's a tremendous opportunity in healthcare. I, I think healthcare is one of those things where you've got outstanding people doing incredible work, but you want them to be more focused on patient care and not on the process steps and the automation of data entry and the, you know, trying to coordinate care across multiple providers and information about drug interaction. You have all of these different things that have to come to play. And, and so much of that can be automated so that the people that are providing care can spend their time doing exactly that with the information at their hands. I think that's, a, that's probably the one I'm most excited about in the long term. You've almost described the two bookends of uh, moments that matter there, when, the, the moments when you need help and the moments when you know, the, you're making memories that you're going to, that, that you know, you'll be telling your kids and your grandkids about. I think healthcare and travel are the two big ones. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think we've seen some real, real innovations happening in, in all industries. I mean, when you look at how far retails come and supply chain and so forth, you know, there's, there, there's steps that have been taken forward, but it's that next step. How do you unlock that? And that's by automating the process that flows across the different systems and, and connects them and allows service to be provided across all the, all the different uh, areas of the business. You mentioned earlier the importance of uh, business sponsors, coaches, mentors. What is some of the best advice you've received from a mentor or coach that has served you well in your career? 
it helped me. I don't know if I would apply it necessarily to others, but one person told me, hey, if you ever get really upset with something, it's just not working for you, whatever. And, and there's obviously a line here. There's some things you can't live with. So I'm not talking about those things, but you know, it's something that's just, just, you know, not working for you. You know, it's not something you can't live with, but it's not optimal for you. He said, wait six months, <laughs> give it six months. And if it doesn't change then, then take action. But you know, there, there's, there's ebbs and flows of how things go in any organization. It's the same with a family. It's the same with your community. It's the same in schools and uh, other community groups. And it's certainly the same in business where uh, having that, essentially, it was a, he was saying, have a little bit of grit and resilience. And again, I'm not talking about things you can't live with, things that violate principle or things that are unacceptable. That, obviously, you take action on immediately. But for these other things that just, you know, working for you, whatever, that actually really helped because then that time gave an increased perspective. And then you knew, okay, can I actually change this? Or, or can I actually live with it? Was I misunderstanding the situation? Or is it just a personnel thing? And that person, they'll never, they won't be there forever. So you, you, you can kind of ride that one out until things change or, or what have you. And that, that was actually really helpful because over my career, there's been times that I've just had the most outstanding experience and I've loved it, but there's been, there's been tough times too. And knowing whether that was something that would change or whether I had to change the situation is a real important decision. And it's good to take just a little bit of time to make that call. Doing that ended up helping me make uh, the decisions, like the opportunities then became, manifest themselves in a way that, that allowed me to make some of these decisions that, that guided my career and created some really fantastic opportunities. What fuels you outside of work? I've got, uh, I talked a little bit about my mother. I've got just the most fantastic family, uh, both my wife's family, my family, everybody doing different things. Uh, you know, I've got a brother who's a, a photographer, was a photojournalist, now works for Berkeley Labs. I've got a sister who's a school teacher. My wife's sister is an architect, award-winning architect. She's got another who's a trained neurosurgeon doing uh, neuroimaging analysis. My wife um, is a is a lawyer, but she became a uh, uh, she she became a marketing professional in business, and now she's doing a psychology degree on the side. So I've got you know th these people in my life that really uh, you know inspire and energize me. And then I've got the children. Uh, I've got some older kids that uh, you know one of them has decided to go into technology. That's exciting. One's going to be a doctor. One's uh, one works in a kitchen, and uh, is trying to decide whether she wants to make a long term out of uh, food service. And I've got uh, you know the two the two little kids, uh, Ella and Sienna, who are six and eleven weeks, and that's just a just a real joy and real real energizing. So that family connection engagement is really important to me. And, and then trying to keep healthy. You know, I, I enjoy getting outdoors, as does my wife and, uh, and the kids. And so that, that's a big part of the life is getting out and doing different sports and activities outside. My wife even got me into golf during the pandemic. I, I, I had resisted it for so long until she said, all right, right now, you know, we can't ski. So, so you're going to learn to play golf with me. And uh, uh, I, I would say it's, uh, it's a the very, very early stage of a long, long journey for me uh, to try to figure out how to play that game. But she's, she's great and, uh, and, and really fun to play. I think I'm more excited about the golf carts than I am about <laughs> playing golf. I, I, I would absolutely offer to drive anyone around a golf course. 
I'm really good at driving the cart. I mean, that's cool. And I have to drive a lot, sometimes off-road to go find my ball. You know, I'm, I'm all over the course on that. that is <laughs> you really let them go, Larry. You let those ones go. <laughs> have, you, have you tested out the, uh, the mini golf in the Melbourne office yet? I did, yeah. And uh, actually me and, um, and, and one of the managers there sat down, you know, for our one-on-one and we tried to play a little bit of golf. They're the little sponge balls, though. And so, you know, we found that that was... Uh, uh, a technique, a different technique was required. And so we considered, should we go get some of the real balls? And there's a big window there. And he said, probably not wise. Someone's going to hit it too hard and risk cracking the window. Yeah, I think that's why there's no real golf balls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the neighbours would appreciate a golf ball flying through their glass window. Exactly, exactly. A few fun questions to wrap up. What is your favourite book or podcast? Oh, um, you know, I just started listening to Smartless. And I love that. What's love- that one about? Uh, it's Jason Bateman and uh, others from, uh, I, I believe there are at least two or three of them are all from Arrested Development, but uh, they just chat with different stars and, and people in the industry and everything. And they're just so, um, they're, they're both intelligent and casual and it's just super entertaining. So, uh, and interesting because they go deep into the industry and the experience. And so I, you know, I, find, I, I grew up in Southern California, so it was near the movie industry, at least the, the Southern California, Los Angeles, Hollywood movie industry. Knew a lot of people that worked in the industry growing up. A lot of parents of my my friends and even a few of my friends went into it. And uh, and so I find it fascinating. So that's that's quite interesting as far as the podcast goes. I just read, I'm reading a bunch of different books. I just read um, A Gentleman in Moscow. And I love Russian literature. So I've read the classics at least. And I found that this, although, you know, obviously not one of the classics and, and written by an American, it's such a, an evocative story about a, a gentleman in Moscow. I won't give it away, but a highly recommended read. It took a little while for me to get into it, but just you just get wrapped up into the story and the experience. And it makes you feel like, you know, you've kind of been through it with, with that individual as, as, he, as he works through a very unique situation that he's in. But I'll, I'll leave it at that. But that was, that was an outstanding Best movie or TV show to binge watch? Probably, I, I'm going to go back a ways on this one. Uh, the Wire. The Wire. Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's one of the early. I think HBO, if I recall, one one of the early kind of series that came back before binge watching was a thing, and it is it is brilliant, and it takes on the hardest challenges in society and does so with you know very interesting, very interesting set of dynamics between the police and the criminals and the community and everything like that so i'd say that that, that one, i don't know that anything's ever ever quite topped that on my list although uh, i have uh, i have given several of them a, a go of watching a place everyone must visit in their lifetime oh here i'm torn on this one because if everybody visits it it won't be the same it'll be too crowded but it's not at well, once not at it's once got, <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be zermatt zermatt um in switzerland the base of the Matterhorn, uh, outstanding skiing, but just a, a beautiful, it's this community, it's it, it, almost like a storybook community that they don't allow cars, they only have little electric cars that zip through the village. You, t- you can take a train up to it, get off the train station, little electric taxi takes you to your hotel. You have so much access to such incredible mountain nature. It's just, it's just an amazing, amazing place. Great food, great little community. Well, Eric, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for joining and sharing your story. My pleasure. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me.
That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Make sure to join our LinkedIn group to continue the conversation and connect with all of our guests on the show. You can find us on the ANZW podcast homepage, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And if you know someone with a great story to share, drop us a note. We would love to hear from you. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Mm